0: Buffs Nation, the podcast representing the best fans in college football. Now, here's Tyler and Jared. Oh, what's going on? Welcome into another episode of the Buffs Nation podcast. I'm Tyler Walgie. He is Jared All. To my right, Jared, what's going on? How are we doing this week? Feeling great, Tyler. Glad to be back in studio with you, buddy. CU's got two games left Washington on deck, senior day, 8 o'clock p.m. This Saturday for Boulder. It's a late game. I've said this multiple times on the show. I sit around... I sit around the old-timers, man. I'm up there with the alums, the old-school alums, so I wonder how packed it's gonna be. But uh, Saturday night, 8 o'clock, be there... Last game of the season, folks. Yeah, as far as Cheer the, your seniors uh, out.
1: Yeah, let, let's all be prepared, uh, showing up. We're not going to get as lucky to get 75-degree weather this time. Do you oh, know what the weather's saying It this looks weekend? clear skies and everything, but I think about kickoff time, we're going to be under 40 would be my guess. It's got Hey-o. a low of 32 Saturday night. hey It's football weather, baby. That's perfect. That yeah, is perfect. Exactly, no right? snow, no rain, no anything, just nice and cold. Yeah, it is football weather after all.
0: We're in the Rockies. All right, so we're going to get to the Washington game coming up. Preview what the Buffs have to do to secure their fifth win of the season. A bull is still not out of the question. Now, it's probably not expected. The Buffs are 4-6, and have to finish the season with two straight wins against Washington and Utah. Before the season, if you told me that's the case, yeah, just finish out against the Huskies and the Utes. That's a very tall order. The game this week going to be CU's best opportunity to get a win. So we'll talk about that, but we have a few things to get to first. And, uh, Jared, before we get to your topic, I know that you have a couple things. that. For those who don't know, Jared is the expert for, well, the reason why he's on the podcast is because he's all things CU football expert. But where Jared really excels is guys coming into Boulder and guys leaving Boulder, right? Who are the high school recruits, some guys who are going to sign with the Buffs, uh, be with the Buffs the next few years. We talked a lot about that last week. And then once they leave CU, who's going to go on to the NFL? You know who, Who's a prospect this year? So we'll talk about all that in, a, in a, a few minutes here coming up. But, Jared, on the topic of filling the stadium, 8 o'clock start time, so on and so forth, again, senior day this Saturday for the Buffs, pretty cool uh, notification, something we got. And I put this on our Facebook page. If you're not following us, give us a like on Facebook, uh, Buffs Nation. See you is one of just eight schools in the country who is averaging a 100% capacity for their games this season. The other schools, Ohio State, Georgia, Penn State, Michigan, uh, another school that starts with an N out there in the Midwest, Utah, and North Carolina. CU, one of the schools, one of the few schools averaging 100% attendance throughout the season. That's a big deal for a team. I think CU has the worst record of any team on that list right there. That says a lot about two things, Jared. One is one, one thing I've been talking about forever. CU fans are good. They show up. It's only when Colorado had those couple of years of winning two, three games a year, people finally started to say, "Okay, I'm not going to, you know, drive from South Denver to Boulder for a game." But Denver has or
1: Colorado has very good football fans, man and And for you and I, who are diehards, we will go to every game every week, every time. We'll never miss a game. it's It's just really kind of, uh, you know, satisfying to 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 see that number and to know that, you know we we as a fan base truly believe and stand behind our buffs through the highs and through the lows. And you point out some of those times where there have been stretches where you see fans start to, you know, maybe not show up in, in as many as many numbers. I think that a lot of times had more to do with, Diehard fans proving their point that they they were trying to put their foot down with coaching staffs with 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 you know levels on the organization they felt like needed to change that had gone on for too long. It was what four or five years into the the Hawkins era right, that was when you right. really started to see some of those things. So aside from that day in and day out, it's great to see the Buffs looked at among the tops in the country for well, teams for, for for that in terms of people showing up to games. And so that's the first
0: thing is Colorado the University of Colorado right as a fan base. CU fans love CU. And the other thing is that the state of Colorado is hungry for a good football team. And not just in all levels. I think that we would agree the Broncos are slacking off this year, last couple years. But it's 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 the hunger for a good college football team. And Denver has an amazing sports fan base, it's growing. I mean, Denver's one of the fastest growing cities in the country, so you're bringing sports fans in all the time who, yes, are going to, you know, if you move from Atlanta, you're going to be a Falcons fan, maybe a Georgia Bulldogs fan, but you learn to like these teams, you learn to want, you want to be around good teams, you want to be able to take your, your kids or go with a buddy to good college football on Saturday, and right now, the University of Colorado is the closest thing we have to good football in the state of Colorado. I don't care if Air Force went to Boulder, got the win this year. CU is Colorado's football team, and this is just validation, Jared. So I think that we owe it you know, a, 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 a little piece of gratitude and a thank you to everyone listening. This is Buffs Nation podcast, and, and we, we speak every week to Buffs Nation. And it's you guys who makes, A, this podcast possible, but B, it, it's what makes going to these games so much fun. And, uh, yeah, it's great, Jared, to see this validation. We posted, again, the link up on Facebook. Did you click the link and go through the pictures, scroll yeah, through? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that kind of That's cool really how cool, they have yeah. different pictures from every game and it captures every game? And for those who may be asking, well, how do you average – A 100% capacity. Isn't it 100% or not? No, not always. You can often have spillover games. I know the standing section doesn't necessarily count as uh, stadium capacity. So there are many games where Colorado's averaging 101, 102%. I know there are a couple games there where they were slightly below, but the average for the season, 100% capacity. The CU Buffs. Let's keep it going this weekend on Senior Night. Uh, Another piece of news coming from Boulder Jared. Ralphie 5 set to retire. Now, Ralphie didn't run last game. I was was wondering, man. There there, there was apparently, you know, some rumblings before the game. I didn't know until I showed
1: up. Yeah, that's actually back-to-back games now that Ralphie has not ran. And in both circumstances, Ralphie was walked out onto the field, which if you're familiar with the process, she comes out onto the one side of the end zone. They walk her across the other side of the End zone. And you could just tell, uh, that's right where my seats are. I'm in section 220 there. So I'm right above where Ralphie starts to run. And you could just tell there was just something they weren't feeling good about. They weren't feeling comfortable about. And, and then when this news comes out that now Ralphie 5 has officially been retired, she will no longer be running because one of the things I thought was interesting and just shows you a little bit the feistiness of, of, of Ralphie 5 is they say most of the, the, the buffalos they have as, as Ralphie as they age their temperament gets more calm and they get easier to work with and she has just gotten more and more feisty year after year and so it got to the point where they, they didn't feel comfortable she's actually out running her, her, the, the, the handlers that run with her and so they were afraid and obviously we as fans this is one of our favorite traditions in the world uh, I think it's one of the coolest things in all all of sports, you would hate to have something happen that would ever oh, endanger yeah, that yeah. from happening, or endanger or, or the, this beautiful animal. So good for Alfie. I, I believe she had twelve years. Is is that right? Twelve years was running. It? No, yeah. was it twelve it's, years? It's something like that. I'm I was look amazed it up. I'm right here look it up. because I was thinking the same thing myself. I'm thinking, wow, it just it seems like they had just switched
0: well, out to a new Alfie. Yeah, I, I thought that I covered this when I worked I- it uh, the radio station in Greeley, which was. A window of about... Tyler's aging himself right now. I know, right? That that was about eight to four years ago, you know, in, in that window. And so I thought that I'd covered...
1: The new Ralphie. Then here, let me look it yeah, up. You take, thought it was
0: twelve take, years?
1: Take a look. Take a look. But so you know, so that'll be a little disappointing. Ralphie will be out on the field on Saturday, but just in spirit, she's not going to make make the loop around the field like we've like we've gotten to know. So everybody be out to support Ralphie for her last day, and then she will uh, retire in a way that I think most of us would only dream to retire with a a, a buffalo to accompany her in, in a, a field of dreams, so to speak. I guess. What are you getting there, Tyler? No, man, you're right. I don't know why I thought that
0: because this would have been... Yeah, so Ralphie Five served from 2008 to 2019. So maybe it was something else. I don't know why I remember covering that so extensively in radio. So anyway, I'm not going to reminisce on that for too long but yeah i thought it was shorter than that but anyway
1: so any any indications do they have a, a new ralphie training have, have, i'm hopeful that you don't see any laps that will be ready to go no, week one no, next they, year
0: there's usually not and, and and with the whole off season to get ready for this now they get most of the buffaloes from the same handler all the buffaloes retire to the same ranch so look it's just it's so cool i mean this is the best start to any sporting event in the in the United States of America. Obviously, college football has this sort of cornered with the live mascots, but I mean, you go to a Georgia game, they've got a dog on the sideline. You go to a, a Texas game, you talk about potentially putting an eye out, Bevo. It's like you talk about a wild animal who needs to be in a you know cage with a bunch of you know. You, you have the the what's it called? The tranquilizer
1: gun ready to go. Yeah, it actually For is people. amazing. I mean, if the, you really think Auburn's about it. auburn got the hawk. That all these years, that nothing, with all these mascots, nothing drastic right? has happened. I know there was a, an issue with the... The, the sumer Well, that, yes. And I wondered if that had anything to do with, with this, that they were a little bit afraid, but that was just the... Uh, the, just the people in the back. Yeah, yeah. the wheelbarrow <laughs> know, or whatever. whatever. It, it turned <laughs> over on them. And apparently that's something you win as fans. So These are like fans who won something that get flipped over in the barrel. (laughs)
0: So,
1: talk about a winning effort, huh? Um, But no, there was some a few years ago with the the bulldog jumping out at one of the. Oh, uh, it was the
0: Texas Georgia game. Was it Bevo almost got the dog? Okay, yeah, the little puppy man. (laughs) And yeah, for all the mascots, for every but, and I'm sure all of the schools do a great job. But CU goes over the top to take care of Ralphie. Matter of fact, before this year. I mean, the one thing that was always kind of heralded about the Ralphie experience was how they handle her so carefully. She had a trailer made before, and I guess that that state-of-the-art trailer before wasn't good because this year they got a brand new custom trailer made to transport Ralphie in in, and the upcoming Ralphie the next few years. But Jared, you know one thing, the Ralphie Five is going to retire to an amazing ranch you know, get spoiled the rest of her life as Ralphie should. And the new Ralphie becoming the next year ready to go. A youngster, you know? Yeah, I
1: always, always like to see the youngsters are a little, uh, you know, got to learn the ropes a little bit that first hey. year or two. Hey,
0: this, I mean, who are the coaches this Ralphie went through? Started in 2008, oh, I Dan didn't Hawkins. Even think about that.
1: John Embry. Uh, here, let me pull it up right now, but. Yeah, so at least on four coaches, uh, you know, so you, you got Hawkins, you got Embry. Yeah, let me see here. I'm pulling it up. McIntyre. Yeah. I could do the audience a favor, maybe play
0: a little. There we go. All right. Yeah, so it goes 2006 to 2010 was Hawkins. Embry was 10 to a 12, McIntyre, and then now Mel Tucker. So... That's a four-pack of coaches that uh, this Ralphie went through. Let's hope next Ralphie only has one coach. I
1: was just going to say the same (laughs) thing. Let's make this an organizational goal that Ralphie and and Mel Tucker, they last both together. That's that's a good goal, right? Absolutely.
0: All right. So Ralphie will not be running this weekend, but Ralphie will definitely be at the game and be at the pre-game festivities. So um, check on... The Colorado Buffaloes Facebook page, they always do a good job of posting when the daily stuff starts. And it's it's hours before the game. You know, the Buff Walk is a good, you know, two, three hours before the game, if not more. And then they'll have Ralphie out there in the pen. You can go say hi, take pictures, so on, so forth. It is Senior Day uh, this Saturday, 8 o'clock, kickoff time. Ralphie's last game, Ralphie 5's last game. And uh, last but not least, Jerry, this is just a faux pas you and I had last week. Uh, the kicker for CU, we were both talking about Davis Price, the kid who'd been here forever. It was Evan Price. Did we mention ah. that on last week's show, during the show? E- are, are they, they r- both still on the roster? Well, then? they may be, but but I don't know if we corrected ourselves last week, and, and I heard from a couple people. It was Evan Price, the freshman, who came in, not, not the one who's been there. Because... And again, I mean, my memory should serve me better. I'm doing a podcast every day now, but I'm pretty sure. Didn't we play the Matthew McConaughey sound? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they get older. I stay the same age. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Thinking it was the other Price. It's not Evan Price.
1: True freshman. Well, they're all came like in. 46, 48, 49. As far <laughs> as their jersey numbers, they can make it a little easier on us here and and, and spread those numbers out a little bit. Uh, while we're on the 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 uh, page of making a couple corrections, we actually misspoke on a couple of players in their class last, oh, last week as well. hey-o, um, on, on On the note of the kickers, James Stefano, believe it or not, as old as he is, I think he might be older than both you and I, Tyler, he still has eligibility left. He's actually only a junior this year, so he will still have eligibility next year if he does decide to return to the Buffaloes. I know we were talking about him and his prospects going into the NFL. Uh, One other guy on the flip side, Delarick Abrams Jr., is a senior. Uh, <laughs> we talked about him. I was actually looking at the website ourlads.com, had him listed as a junior. Uh, when you double check and cross reference that with the CU Buffs uh, roster, you got to get multiple sources. You got to get multiple sources. You got to go back to the original source. Delrick Abrams Jr. is a senior. He is out of eligibility. <laughs> it's confusing. And he is going to be a guy, uh, uh, hopefully, on some uh, NFL teams' radars coming up this year. Look, folks, some, sometimes we just have to say, hey, here's where we messed up. You'll have
0: to excuse my friend. He's a little slow. Can't expect us to always just, uh, I mean. Well,
1: sometimes we, you and I can just go <laughs> yeah. back and forth. Um, oh, I think what's interesting for a lot of listeners is how little we actually dive into the notes that we put together. Yeah, right, I and know. Some of it just comes off the cuff. So which Sometimes is, is, you think you know something, and you go back and check it, and
0: you're a little off. Look, this is the beauty of podcasts, and this is what I think people like listening to. There's a lot of CU content out there. This is, you know, we are what we are. We're representing the fan base. By the way, best fan base in the country right now. A couple fans talking about CU football. This is morphing. You know, we, we developed this show right off of my heels of radio. And so we kind of made this show initially to be a radio feel. And it's more and more transformed over the last couple of years to more of a podcast, which is good. This is what this is meant for, Jared. You know, this is what podcasts are meant for things like this topics like this we can just going to get on and uh, riff for a while so speaking of riffing let's get to the washington game coming up next weekend eight o'clock tip we'll do that right after our one and only commercial break Special thanks to the Wise Listing System team. If you are looking to move in the state of Colorado to a house, condo, mansion, apartment, anything in between, the Wise Listing System team will be sure to make it an easy process for you. Check them out online at paymyfirstmonth.com. And they'll do just that. They'll pay your first month's mortgage. So let them take care of setting up all the showings. You don't have to worry about anything. They'll they'll set up when you get to look at the new houses. They'll take care of all the inner workings in the background, the contracts. Make sure you're not signing anything you don't want to sign. And as I said, they'll pay your first month's mortgage, which can really do a wonders in, in, in moving season. We all know how expensive moving can get. Have them help you out by paying your first month. Online, paymyfirstmonth.com. That's the Wise Listing System team. Tell me you heard about them right here on the Buffs Nation podcast also want to thank Woo's Media. This is a Woo's Media production, and Woo's Media also specializes in online advertising. So if you own a business or know anyone who owns a business and you're not taking advantage of everything that online advertising has to offer today, you've got to check out woosmedia.com They'll get you on Google, on every single website you want to be on, in the middle of articles, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. If you want to show up online, Woo's Media can help you out. Online, W-O-O-Z-E media.com woos media all right Jared. let's talk about the washington game i think i may have said they tip off at eight o'clock this weekend it's Wouldn't a kickoff that be fun if
1: they did a like a tip off speaking ball of
0: tip off see you top 25 basketball team this year Give it up for the men's uh, CU men's team. Very I, good.
1: You know, this, this feels like it's been a long time coming. I know Tad Boyle came here and and really turned the basketball program around very quickly. And then I think it's kind of one of those that you know uh, people's expectations jumped up so high that uh, they felt disappointing. <laughs> right. Finally, CU was competitive for the first time ever over a stretch of time, and and it wasn't good enough. So I really, really would love to see this team take that next jump. They're getting tons of athletes. Some guys. They're getting brought in, some 6'10", 7-footers, so I know that's not uh, necessarily yours or my area of strength <laughs> uh, following the uh, the bus basketball team, but we both watch them as fans. We both enjoy watching it, and I- I'm looking forward to uh, a great season this year. Exactly. There we go. Couldn't have said it better.
0: Alright, so actually, I lied, folks. Before we get into the Washington Huskies game, let's talk quickly about some CU players who are going to the NFL next year, or could potentially be going to the NFL next year. Uh, Jared, as I said, earlier in the show specializes in this so jared let's go down your list of of colorado players well not in the state university of colorado players who were expecting
1: to go to the nfl next year Take it away, Jared. Who are we looking at? So I have a list here of 11 guys, okay? These are mostly seniors. I have seven seniors and four juniors. So I, I have a few guys on here. The juniors, I'm not necessarily thinking, in fact, most of them I'm expecting to come back. But I do think they are guys that if they were to come out this year, they're on NFL radars. And and again, not necessarily guys that I expect to get drafted, but I think they will be on people's big boards. I think they will be... Uh, let, let's just jump into this first group of guys I have is what I would call the priority free agents, okay? These are guys that I think slipped through the draft. I think guys like a Philip Lindsay, that by the time that draft is all said and done, they got 20 phone calls, teams begging them to sign with them as an undrafted free agent, getting good signing bonuses. So guys that I expect to... Probably make NFL rosters. Okay, so we're gonna go bottom up on this list. All okay. right. So my first guy, number 11, guy we just spoke about a few moments ago, is Delrick Abrams Jr. He's struggled this year. I think let's let's just put it that way. Last year, I think he had a really good year, his first season with the Buffs. He struggled at times this year, a little bit inconsistent, but he has got that ideal size, that length that, that NFL loves and covets in corners. He's listed six foot three, 185 pounds. That's the type of guy you snag, you put on your you hope he can develop into something next guy up a, another guy that is a juco transfer into cu is arlington hambright this is the left tackle that came in from oklahoma state uh spent a couple years at a juco uh, again great great experience good versatility good size six foot five 300 pounds has played some guard and some tackle so i think you're going to get a little bit of versatility that nfl teams love there and, and here's the thing when you're talking
0: about these guys who can be so versatile at the line at that position, that's huge when, when projecting to the future. So and the other thing with him, Jared, when you only come into one for to to a school for one year, sometimes you don't maximize your potential. So a lot of these JUCO guys, I recommend you stay the other year because it's only gonna help your, your draft stock. Yep.
1: Yep. Next guy up, um, and and these all three these guys, by the way, are seniors. So these guys are all graduated seniors out of eligibility. This last one is Alex Kinney, and this is a guy that I actually Kinney. think he may get drafted. You just almost never see a punter get drafted. Yeah, so why do you think that? I, I just think he's one of the top two or three guys uh, that's going to be coming out. You look at his career over a course of four years, he's a four, actually four-plus-year starter because last season he had about three or four games before he went down with injury. So four-year starter, this is a guy, Tyler, you followed since you were you know watching him when he was in high school yeah. up in northern Colorado. If he gets
0: drafted, that would be the third High school player I covered working in radio
1: that uh, made it to the NFL. Watch out for him. If he doesn't get drafted, he may end up on the Broncos roster next year. He's the type of guy that I think sticks on a roster. So moving forward to the next group of guys, these are I'm going to kind of break things down for those of you guys who don't follow the draft closely. You have three days of the NFL draft, okay? Day one is just the first round. Day two is rounds two and three, and then day three are rounds four through seven. So I've broken guys down in a group by day, okay? So next group here, this will be your day three projections. Guys, I think, going between rounds four and seven. Okay. Uh, On this list, there are five guys. I got one junior and four seniors. So starting at uh, number eight as we move up here, Tony Brown. He's a guy that I don't think anybody had on their NFL radar before this year. But he has proven he has the versatility to be an outside receiver, an inside slot receiver. You know, he's not elite at anything. But he's got good hands, he's got good speed, and he's a good route runner. Those are things that you covet in a wide receiver. He's 6'1", 195 pounds, absolutely. Just reliable. You think reliable when you think of Brown. Yes. Next guy up, Tim Lynott, Another guy that has been – on the field, a lot for the Buffs. Uh, I think we he, he was at least a three-year starter. Again, position, versatility. I think the move that he made from guard to center this year, I think, is the reason he gets drafted. I think NFL teams see he can be a center. He's a guy that can get bumped over to guard if you need a guard there as well. But I think he's a guy that is going to be, if not a starter, an NFL team I think he is absolutely a you know five to ten year player in the NFL as a backup um, as we start moving up here you're starting to get into some guys that uh, I think are more of the big names um, so those guys there I had Tony Brown more probably in the sixth to seventh round range probably towards the end I'd compare him to what we saw from uh, Jawan Winfrey last year I think he went to the sixth in the sixth round to the Broncos Tim Linan I'm going to give about a fifth round projection for him uh, next guy up on my list also a fifth round projection and a guy that I think you and I both Tyler at one point in time thought we would see him much much higher on this list and that's the quarterback Steven Montez. Yeah. I just with with what we've seen out of him this year, I think he's shown enough traits that somebody is going to take a stab at him in the middle rounds. Uh, it's also a quarterback class while it's it's deep at the top or it's strong at the top, it's not deep beyond about four or five guys. So I think he may get somebody may take a a stab he at him.
0: He will. He's got the intangibles.
1: He's 6'4" he's
0: got got a good arm i mean he's got the size he he has everything these scouts are looking for. I think there's no way he goes and, undrafted. And
1: something we talk about a lot, you and I do one-on-one, is and I think it's so unspoken when it comes to guys getting drafted, is if Steven Montez can go to the right situation, yeah. I absolutely think he can de- develop into an NFL quarterback. But he's got to go to a great quarterback mind that understands how to push his buttons and how to get him to take that next step. Okay, The next guy, this is going to be our first junior on the board. That is KD Nixon, okay? I list him on Hmm. there. I fully expect KD Nixon to come back. I just think that he's the type of guy that if he decides to declare and gets the invite to the NFL combine, I think he's going to wow people. I think he has got some – some. Uh, athletic ability, athletic traits that I think go unnoticed at times. He's an athletic freak. The guy is uh, has t- a lot of Tyreek Hill in his game. Is how I would probably compare him. That would be a, a comparison player I would give yeah, for him. But these are guys in your your lower category. I think that if he stays for a senior year, he can move up. Exactly. Right now, I have probably a fifth round grade on him. I think if he stays around for senior year, he may be a more focal point of this offense. I think he gets the ability to be, you know a guy that can show all those athletic traits and and, and a guy that I think can, can help you as a special teams player, as a returner, different things like that. So I absolutely think he can move up towards the third, even the second round with a strong senior season. So I definitely think Katie Nixon is a guy that will be back, but I do think he would get drafted if he decided to go out this year. It's so funny
0: though. You look around the world of college football and really the world of football and receiver is a position now where they're, I don't want to say a dime a dozen, but they're so common now coming out that it seems like every good receiver on every good team could find a spot in the NFL, but it's going to be less and less of an opportunity because of how many guys are good. Do I think that Nixon and Brown will get their opportunities? Absolutely. But it's just funny now compared to five, 10 years ago, a
1: receivers place in the world of football. It's very different. Absolutely. Uh, Next guy up on our list, number four. This is a guy that I have a fourth-round projection on, and I have been so high on him since the day he stepped foot on the CU football field, and that's Davion Taylor. You guys have heard me talking about him all year long, and I just see the prototypical off-ball, outside linebacker in the NFL. Well, he's
0: athletic. That's what yes. teams in the NFL are looking for in a linebacker especially these days. The more we move the, the more we move forward with football 19, 2020, 2021, linebackers are going to be more and more like safety hybrids. And I think the future of linebacker in the NFL, at least outside linebacker for a lot of these 3-4 schemes or hell even 4-3 schemes is the guys like on the buffs who play the buff back or the star yes. back, whatever you want to call them that those guys are going to transition well to outside linebackers. And Davion Taylor, the one thing working... Well, (laughs) one of many things working for him is his athleticism. This dude is fast. One of the fastest guys on CU's defense. When he gets there, he makes the tackle as well. So I think he's exactly what the NFL is looking for, kind of that new age
1: linebacker. And I have him listed as a fourth-round projection I will not be surprised at all. I I think that Davion Taylor is going to blow people away at the NFL Combine, at the uh, Senior Bowl. I think his athleticism is going to pop. And I think he will be, of all of the guys on my list here today, he is going to be the biggest riser for the Buffaloes going to draft. What I mean by that is right now, people are looking at him probably a day three guy. If he impresses the way I expect him, yes, if he puts up big time numbers, athletic numbers that are on par with top tier guys, he will jump up there and he's going to be looked at as a second or third round guy. I fully expect that he has, if he puts up the numbers that I think he can, he will impress a lot of people. He's going to get on a lot of people's boards. Tied right now in the season for uh, CU, second in passes uh, deflected, passes defensed. And he's a linebacker. As a linebacker. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah so. it gives you a good idea. And, and again, just to give a, a comparison uh, for, for people who who follow the NFL, follow the Denver Broncos, I think somebody that is a very good comparison for him is Danny Trevathan. If you remember back to the Super Bowl winning year for the Broncos, 2015, Danny Trevathan was an animal as a linebacker for the Broncos very similar in size in fact Davion Taylor's probably got about two inches in height maybe five or ten pounds on Danny Trevathan but just an athletic freak but the biggest thing that Danny Trevathan could do that I think Davion Taylor also does well is he is great at defending the run a lot of times that's the knock on these smaller linebackers is they can't get in there and and hold up against the run Davion Taylor does it great and I think it's going to be a good fit for him as an outside linebacker in the NFL Okay, so I got three more guys on my list. These yeah. are your day one, day two guys. All three of them are juniors. Wow. Okay? Well, I know who
0: two of them are going to be. So
1: we'll, we'll talk about those guys, and, and I'll tell you, I, I do expect, for the most part, these guys to be coming back. So number three on my list, Nate Landman. He's a guy that I I'm I was really – I had a hard time. And when you when you follow uh, some of the other national beat writers, he's not a guy that's on a ton of Which people's is radars crazy. right now. Which
0: is crazy. I,
1: it, I think the problem that that Nate Landman falls into, I think it's the exact counter to what we were just talking about with Davion Taylor. Davion Taylor fits the new mold of the new linebacker in the NFL. Nate Landman... Fits the old mold. Well, he is exactly but, what you wanted 10 years ago. But, he, but, but he, he's a great middle linebacker. Yes. yes, he is He is definitely a two-down thumper. He is a guy that is going to be excellent first and second down. But I believe you've seen a lot out of him over the last couple of years that shows me he does have some ability and coverage. He has the athleticism to do it. He just needs to continue to learn and grow as a coverage linebacker, I think that's going to take him some time. So I think early on in his career, he's probably an an early down guy. He probably doesn't go out a lot on on third downs, on passing downs. But more than anything, I think the reason he's not on NFL radars right now is – He just strikes me, if you ever listen to him talk, you see what he does, he strikes me as a college football junkie. Like that type of guy that just lives for Saturday football. I don't think he wants to get out of Boulder any faster than he can. So I absolutely think with almost 100% certainty that Nate Landman will be back next year. Yeah. I've seen no indication that he's coming out. Yeah, right. Hopefully he's back next year. I mean, he's he's the most important part of this
0: defense. But, Jared, I mean, I slightly disagree that, that there is a place for him in the in the NFL. What a, look, the outside linebacker, what we were talking about earlier, I think that that is changing drastically, but there's always going to be a spot for a bruiser up the middle who's who has great instincts. Yes, if he you know, can work on his pass coverage a little bit that's going to help him but there will be a place for him in the NFL he reminds me of Leighton Vanderesh.
1: yeah that's for, actually a very good uh for, for, for the
0: Cowboys or something like that some guy who can play in the middle of the field still get sideline to sideline make those tackles I think there's definitely a spot for Lehman in the NFL the question is, where are the scouts going to tell him he's going to go, and does he take that bait? I want him back next year. He's the most important
1: part of I this think defense. right now he'd be a mid-round guy. i put a third-round grade on him. That might even be a little bit of a reach if he were to go out right now. He may be more in the fourth to fifth range, but I think, again, come back next year, continue to be dominant as a tackler, continue to improve in coverage, and I think you can see him move up into the second or third round in next year's draft, in the All 2021 right. draft. Next guy up on my list, number two on the list for the Buffs eligible to go to the NFL draft, that is Mustafa Johnson. Uh, I really thought that this would be a guy before the year. I thought this was going to be uh, sh- for sure going out as a junior. Yeah. But I think the injuries he has dealt with this year I think has really hindered his ability to show the dominance. You saw him dominant as a sophomore. We haven't really seen the dominance this year. I think in the last couple weeks you're starting to see it come well, on again.
0: And he plays such an important role in this defense when he's on Taking line taking bodies up at the line of scrimmage, doing what a D tackle is supposed to do. That's when this defense in general is at their best. So he doesn't have to have the great numbers for this defense to immediately see improvement, but you're right. We haven't seen those all moments. I, I want to say
1: he had ten and a half sacks as a D tackle, yeah, as a sophomore. And he's had four this year. And, and so it's that that's just I think he's the type of guy that could come out. I think he goes probably second or third round, and he has a very successful NFL career. But if he comes back and proves that this was a fluke year because of the injuries, he may see his name called on day one. he's six foot two 290 pounds. he's the ideal fit for either a 3-4 defensive end or a 4-3 defensive tackle, so he is scheme versatile. Any scheme that any, any team that drafts him, he fits. I, I, I compare him to, uh, if, for those of you familiar familiar with the Atlanta Falcons, Grady Jarrett. He's uh, a guy, just kind of a penetrating interior defensive lineman. I think he is somebody that is absolutely on people's radars, and I hope for both the sake of the Buffs next year, but also for Mustafa Johnson. I hope he comes back next year, oh, because yeah? I think he could be a first-round draft pick in 2021.
0: Well, I hope he comes back next year for his Draft improvement and for CU Because we can
1: really use him back next year That would be key Okay Tyler last but not least I think you know where we're going here Where we're going to go My buddy LaVisca Chenault Uh, He has been from the very start of this year He has been on uh, NFL radars as a, a top 10, top 15 guy. As he should have been. Uh, he's listed at two, two 220 pounds. We've talked about over the last few weeks. Different scouts have different takes on him. Some guys think he, he fits more the mold of a running back in today's NFL. Um, other guys just really think that he's that versatile piece, that, that kind of offensive weapon. Don't need to put him into a position. Just call him an offensive weapon, line him up all over the field. But I'm going to tell you something, Tyler. My, my prediction, you know, I've been telling you this for, for several weeks behind the scenes, um, and I, I feel stronger and stronger by the day with this. My my bold prediction right now, LaVisca Chenault's not coming out in this NFL Wow, get out of here. And I know that sounds like a hot take. For everyone out there thinking this is crazy, but there's a lot of reasoning behind that. First and foremost, just look at the season that he has had. I think we can all agree that the dominance we saw in 2018 – Did not come through this year. Even in the games he's played well, he hasn't taken over games. There hasn't been a single game where he has just taken over. I think we know that injury and the the multiple injuries he's dealing with are bothering him. I think it's hindering his ability to dominate games, to show his speed that he has, the physicality that he has. But it goes beyond just his lack of success this year. This is one of the best wide receiver classes I can ever remember. And, and that goes back 10, 15 years. That includes that Odell Beckham Jr. draft where yeah. there was, I think, five or six guys drafted in the first round. So I'm going to give you a list of four names. There are... I, I, I follow a lot of different NFL draft um, outlets. You know, we're talking ESPN, Todd McShay, and Mel Kiper, and you know, Bleacher Report with Matt Miller, and the list goes on and on and on, okay? I think there are four consensus top receivers, okay? Number one receiver, Jerry Judy, Alabama. The judge. Okay. Number two receiver, and the, the next three are pretty debatable on two through, two through four, is Henry Ruggs out of Alabama, yeah, yeah. fastest guy possibly in the world. I guess he's, he's potentially going to be do some Olympic racing. T. Higgins <laughs> out of Clemson, guy has been a stud for four years there, or excuse me, three years there. And the last is C.D. Lamb out of Oklahoma. and We know that right. offense puts up big numbers. Those are four guys that are consensus on just about everyone across the country ahead of LaVisca Shenault. Okay? So if you, you do that math there, okay? You're thinking even if five or six guys receivers go in the first round, that means instead of being a top 10 pick where you're you're slotted to make I think somewhere in the neighborhood of about 8 to 10 million a year, you're probably going in the 20 to 30 where you make about 25% of that. But do you think he doesn't come back just for those 10 spots? But if he goes back next year, he will almost unanimous, unanimously be viewed as the number one or right amongst the top receivers, potentially going at to a top 10 team. And that's a big difference. And I think he's got a lot to prove. And I, I think there's more beyond that even when you look at the CU bus. His brother just started going to school there. He'll, he can continue to play with him. You know he has a very close relationship with Katie Nixon. In fact, Katie Nixon was the one who dragged him to CU yeah, after yeah. he committed. If Katie Nixon goes back... What's to say he doesn't convince LaVisca Chenault to to come back and join him? I think this team sees something brewing. I think they see these recruits, which, by the way, we have another one to announce here, another commitment for the Buffs. Some of these big-time players committing for next year, I think they see what's coming, and I think he wants to be a part of it. So you hear it right now. This is November 18th, Buffs Nation podcast, (laughs) telling you that LaVisca Chenault will be suiting up for the Buffs in 2020
0: got the breaking news here. Jared All on Buffs Nation, you heard it here first. All right. Part of me wants to say you're crazy because he's still going to get millions of dollars to be drafted in the first round, which he still will likely go next year, but you're right. If he was going to come back next season, I think that a very big reason why that would be is just what you said. There's such a heavy class this year for receivers that he may say, okay, look, if I get drafted next year, it would likely be a top any receiver, so on and so forth. That holds validity. That I think is very real. What I don't think is as much of a factor are his stats this year. I think that the fact he was injured, didn't put up great numbers, that doesn't matter. I've seen players get hurt. I've seen players, you know, sit out for a lot of the season, half the season. Um, And if you have talent, if there's one thing we know and it's been proven, if you have talent, you're going to get drafted in the NFL. So. I don't think the numbers is big of a deal. I think that he's still going to end up on a good team, so on and so forth. I think if there's one reason he does come back, it is because, look, you could make those. Yes, while making those numbers better, even though that's not the reason, you could be in a much less uh, wide receiver kind of populated heavy class.
1: But I think it's less about his numbers this year that will that is causing him to fall down people's draft boards and more about two years as a starter. Two years with significant injuries. Yeah. I think he needs a full season being healthy to prove to people that these were flukes. This is not a pattern. I mean, look at Tua Tungavailoa. I mean, he's a guy that all of a sudden went from being a lock to be a top three pick. Now he has another serious injury, which makes three in two seasons, three that have required surgery. He's had two ankle injuries and now a hip injury. And all of a sudden people are going, huh. Maybe he needs to be more like a, you know. Maybe we wait and grab him in the mid twenties when we're when we're not investing a top five, top ten pick on a can't miss guy. Those are can't right, miss guys. Right. And don't get me wrong, there, it only takes one. It only takes one team to decide you're a can't miss guy, and, and all of a sudden you're getting, you know, Trent Richardson drafted in top three, and and then <laughs> let's see where his career went, you know. So I mean, it's it's the way it goes, but I do think that there is something within the scouting community, that when they say, see guys year after year with injuries, particularly for a receiver, lower body injuries, I think that scares some folks. I think they would love to see a healthy season out of LaVisca, LaVisca Chanel. All uh, right, good stuff. Jared, do you have anything else for the draft? Uh, no, but I do want to touch real quickly on the commitment that uh, just came through yes, today. Yes, yes. Again, this is Monday, November 18th, and another... Four-star commitment, Tyler. Hey, this is Christian Gonzalez. All right, Christian, coming out of I just love this, the Colony, Texas. That's just his school name is the Colony. Solid. I so, love it. So uh, he is a safety, six foot one, 193 pounds. Uh, Four-star. He is number 30 ranked safety in the country. A guy that was previously committed to Purdue. And flipped and decided to come to Boulder next year. Love it. Love flipping those recruits.
0: And I think everyone's seeing what an attractive place this is to play. Good stuff, Jared. You got uh, anything else there?
1: No, I think it's time to uh, move on to Washington. I
0: like that, though, today. I like going over those NFL draft prospects next year who may leave, who may not leave. Good good wrap-up there. And, of course, the one extra recruit coming to Boulder as well. All right, so let's shift our focus to the Washington Huskies coming to Boulder this weekend. As we've said, 8 o'clock Saturday night. Senior night for your CU Buffs. All right, so um, Washington, 6-4 and four on the year. Washington is currently on ESPN.com. A 83% chance, has an 83% chance to win the game. The spread is 14.5. Washington coming into Boulder as
1: 14.5-point favorites. So you're telling me there's a chance? <laughs> I mean,
0: look, <laughs> before the year started, I expected this kind of a spread. I expected Washington to come into to Boulder being the heavy favorite for the two seasons that these two teams have had i don't understand why this is so close now let's talk about washington what they've done this year and kind of what cu needs to watch out for washington as i said six and four on the season they have uh they they beat oregon state last week nineteen seven, but before that only won one of their previous four games so i guess that's a long-winded way of saying they're two and three their last five but jared When you look at their losses this year, they've lost to Cal by one point after a lightning storm, a lightning delay that took like two or three hours to resolve. They lost at Stanford. They lost to an Oregon team, very good Oregon team, 35-31. And then they lost to Utah, 33-28. So it's not like all six and fours are created equal. And this Washington team, even though they're six and four, is still a very, very good team. I don't want to say flying under the radar because 14.5 point favorites is a lot for a six-win team in the 11th week of the season because of the bye week, so on and so forth. But, Jared, I
1: think CU's got a chance here. Now, what have you thought of of, of Washington's schedule in general, their season in general so I think far? one of the biggest things I take from their wins and their losses, when they're winning games, they're putting up big-time numbers. You're, you're seeing, you know, against Eastern Washington, 47 points, against Hawaii, 52, BYU, 45. The list goes on and Arizona, on. Arizona, 51. But when they're losing, losing to Cal, 20-19, losing to Stanford, 23-13. So I think the key, which is a little different than what we've seen in the past with Washington where their defense is kind of what carries them through games, the key is, is if you can keep Jacob Eason in this offense from lighting it up against you, it's a team that struggles to win games. They, well,
0: they're leaning on that offense. But I don't think that's necessarily because of this great Washington offense. I think it's because Washington doesn't have that elite defense. So instead of relying, like you kind of mentioned, instead of them relying on that defense to win games for them, now that's just kind of an average defense at this point. Now they have to go win games offensively, and that's not helping, especially because Jacob Eason isn't having an ideal season. 63.5% completion, 2,400 yards through the air, 20 touchdowns, 7 picks. That's not a bad year, you may be saying, but that's not a very good year for a Washington quarterback.
1: Well, and when you look at... You know he had so much success early on in games against Eastern Washington, against Hawaii, where they're just they're going against these garbage defenses, and he put up huge numbers. All of a sudden, everyone's talking about him True. as a Heisman candidate, as a first-round draft pick, all these things. I mean, we we know. I mean, for those of you guys who follow college football closely, Jacob Eason was a big-time recruit. If I'm not mistaken, at one point was the number one recruit in his draft class. Went to Georgia, ended up getting beat out, and he transferred to Washington. So I think Jacob Eason has all the t- Talent. He's got a big time arm. But what he's proven this year is if you get after him, you put pressure on him, he does not have the decision making ability that you want from a quarterback. And that's where you see some of those interceptions come in and some of these games where the offense struggles because he can't get in the rhythm.
0: Well, and that, that's what CU needs to do. But if you look at it, yes, he's been hurried this year, but he really hasn't been sacked that often. Thir- 12 sacks in the season. Jacob Eason's been sacked 12 times. Only six, excuse me, only seven sacks in seven conference games. So, obviously, that's one sack per game in the Pac-12 they're giving up. Jared, that needs to change. They're protecting Jacob Eason. That's one of the strengths, actually, of this Washington offense, is not letting other teams get to their quarterback. And you have to credit Chris Peterson with that. This is more of a... Uh, pro-style offense than we've seen in the last five years from Washington. This is typically a spread offense. What they're doing this year is more pro-style than we've ever seen before and you really have to credit this coaching staff for being versatile enough for Washington switching things up. But one thing they do well
1: is protect that quarterback. And you and I have both for a long time been been big fans of Chris Peterson and what he does. I think he's one of the better coaches in the in the in college football. And I think this season is a testament to that because everything you just said, they don't have a great defense. They don't have that elite talent there. They don't have a great offense. They don't have anything that they hang their hat on. Yet this team is still winning games. They're still a strong football team. And I think that's a testament to this coaching staff and their ability to tweak and change what they do based on what talent they have in front of them. And they know that in Jacob Eason, they have more of a pure pocket passer that needs that protection, that needs maybe you bring extra, hold extra blockers in and and you allow him to be successful that way. So the Buffs are going to have to confuse them. They're going to have to throw some different looks at them because they have one of the better offensive lines in the Pac-12 and it's going to be, be tough for the Buffs to get there with four guys. Let's stay with the passing
0: game. Now, I just mentioned that Washington utilizes more of a pro look than we've seen in the last couple of years. They're going to have two tight ends on the field very often. As a matter of fact, their leading receiver for Washington is their tight end, Hunter Bryant, and their other tight end, Cade Otten, is the fourth leading receiver on the team. So they're going to use their tight ends effectively. Now, Those tight ends aren't always going to go out for routes. They're often going to stay back and block and pass protect like Washington does so well. But it's important to know that this isn't the typical spread them out and go vertical Washington team. This is very much methodical, running the football, using your tight ends, and uh, this passing game. They're going to have to look in the middle of the field. That's going to be the biggest thing, Jared. The last few teams that CU's played, we've been worried about the outside of the field. This team, you've got to worry about the middle of the field. The slot receiver, Aaron Fuller, and a couple of these tight ends. Uh, As well. All right, let's get on to the rushing game. Their leading rusher, Salvin Ahmed. Am I saying that right? Yeah, I believe that's correct. Who cares? Uh, (laughs) 153 attempts this season for just shy of 900 yards. It's about six yards a pop. That's not
1: too bad for their leading rusher. He's going to get the primary carries here. He has almost twice as many carries as the next leading rusher player on their team so he's also sixth on the team in reception so he's very involved in in many different aspects of the game yeah again that's salvin
0: ahmed he is number 26 so keep an eye out for number 26 on the huskies he's kind of their do everything back Behind him in the running game, Richard Newton's going to get the majority of the carries after Ahmed. Newton's gotten 81 runs on the year, about four and a half yards a carry for six touchdowns. Those two guys, Ahmed and Newton, combined for 15 rushing touchdowns this year, they have 17 total. So aside from them, not too many guys that are going to surprise you. No no, no one who you really have to watch out for uh, in the rushing game. So overall offensively, Jared, what are your thoughts? They they look pretty pedestrian to me. I don't know. I mean, right now, I guess, let, let me phrase it this way. If you're going to shut down their running game or their passing
1: game, what do you start with as a CU defense? I think Jacob Eason is what scares me the most on this team. Again, just looking at what they've done this year and the success they've had, when they've looked really good, Jacob Eason has got it going. And so, I think it's important to shut him down, get him out of rhythm a little bit. And and really, I think, honestly, I believe we saw this, this Buffs defense turn a corner last week. I think they played... Their best game of the season, and I think they need to build off of that. I think you shut down the corners on the outside, or shut down the receivers on the outside one-on-one with your corners. Something we saw them do much better last week than we've seen all year. But you have to get out after the quarterback. They did okay last week against Stanford with that. I think that that needs to be something we come out here next week for, for the Buffs to get a win. I think we need to come out here and say, "Wow, the Buffs got after Jacob Eason. He never had time. He never felt comfortable." I think that's how you get to get to this offense
0: defensively uh Jared kind of mentioned it earlier that this defense is not the same typical Washington defense that we're used to seeing so for Colorado's offense they're they're Obviously, many ways to attack what Washington has shown they can do this year. I think you have to stay away from some of these defensive backs. Now, the three leading tacklers for Washington are defensive backs. They're fast. They're athletic on the outside. They can shut guys down. Washington actually this year, I would say, struggles against teams who look like they do, who run the pro style. When they're, when they're going to face a team that spreads it out and wants to get up and down the field, they, they actually are going to do very well against that. I mean, those defensive backs get in there, and they wreak havoc on other offensive game plans. When you can run more of a pro-style offense, I think you can really start to crack what Washington doesn't do well. The Huskies have always had that great leadership at linebacker. And that second level was always so elite. This year, it's different. So... I think that what CU needs to do to find success here is run the football, run it early, get Fondeiro going, get Jaron Mangum going, some of these, uh, get get Chenault going yes. out of the backfield, tunnel screens, jet sweeps, get your receivers involved, but don't do it in the classic way where their defensive backs, Miles Bryant, Elijah Molden, Keith Taylor, can work. You want to keep it away from their strengths, meaning means keep it in the middle of the field. So, actually, I think CU's defense should look to stop Washington in the middle of the field with those tight ends, slot receiver. I think offensively, Colorado should look to keep it in the middle of the field, utilizing their tight ends, utilizing uh, Brady Russell, utilizing the, the, these guys out of the backfield, as I said, even Chenault, and attacking the linebackers. That, to me, is how you're going to get after Washington.
1: It's always telling to me when when defensive backs are the leading tacklers because that, that tells you that there tends to be a weakness in the middle of the defense. And so I'd like to see a lot of... Steven Montez lined up under center with possibly a fullback in there with a running back. What that does, you bring your tight ends in, it forces them to load the box, which gives you an opportunity then to maybe single out some guys on the outside, get you some opportunities there. But if they're not going to prove that they can stop you up the middle, you pound the rock on them until they force you to go away from that. And I think that is something that I think Mel Tucker wants to do. And I think it's something that gives him an opportunity to do that with this matchup this week. Now, it
0: looks like when they go on the road, when Washington goes on the road, aside from the Stanford game, they are giving points up. So I think Steve's going to have an opportunity here to score some points if they stay true to what we're talking about here. If they establish Fontenot early, if they establish Jared Mayhem early, and they can get some sort of play action going, look, I know the Buffs aren't ever going to be a typical I-formation, line them up, knock them down with the play action, right? Like the Patriots or something. But you can still utilize play action to to a massive advantage against teams like this who are overzealous in the middle of the field, who do overcommit with their linebackers because they're not as good. So Jared, I think it's all stemming off this running game. And, and that, to me, is the key. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my key player for the game. I think it's, it's Fontenot. If Alex Fontenot can get 100 on the ground, you know, 20, 30 through the air, establish some kind of a running game, we know Jaron Mangum's going to contribute on top of that, right? And we know LaVisca's going to get his on top of that. If Fontenot can get
1: over the 100-yard mark, I think that's kind of the key to see you winning this game. What do you think about that? I, I, I would not disagree with you at all. I'm going to go a different direction, though, with my key for the offense, and that's Steven Montez. Play mistake-free football. You cannot put yourself in a bad situation. Don't turn the ball over, particularly in the red zone. Don't make any of these boneheaded, forcing the ball in. Play within yourself. Allow this defense to lead the way for you. And allow your running game to lead the offense. Don't make mistakes. Make the throws when, you, when they're there. Throw the ball away when they're not. Let's get into
0: the tail of the tape. Let me know if any of these numbers surprise you, shock you, etc., Points per game. Washington, 33.5. CU, 24.5. Points allowed per game. Washington, 21.2. Colorado,
1: 32.3. Anything surprise you there? I wish I could tell you I was surprised by that, but uh, the Buffs, that, that doesn't surprise me really from them. And and when you look at those numbers for Washington, again, looking back to what Washington has been over the last few years, those are terrible numbers for, well, they, for, they for really Washington. Exactly. Washington's used to putting up 40 points a game, allowing somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 points a game. Well, so it, this is not the same Washington team that has dominated the Pac-12 the last two or three years. And to stay on the topic of defense, you look at yards allowed. Now, this is simple. Total yards allowed from
0: each team, Washington, 350 a game. Still not good, not where you expect Washington to be, not great. CU, 470 yards a game they're giving up. So, I mean, the one positive is you could say CU's been very good in the red zone. They're giving up a, a lot of yards in between the 20s, and then they're kind of bowing and either giving up field goals, creating turnovers, but... You're giving up 470 on the, uh, a game. I don't know too much I can say. Are, to are sugarcoat you trying to talk <laughs> me into the
1: Bucks winning here? Because you're not helping that look, case at all. <laughs> look, look,
0: we're going over the facts here and the stats, and I think that the more you dive into those, you realize why the market may say Washington is 14 and a half point favorites. But we also can't forget that the University of Colorado has had one of the more up-and-down years of any football team this year. I mean, if you just take a magnifying glass and look at the two-week span where CU went to Oregon and to Washington State, those combined scores, 86-13. to Okay? So... You're not going to get good stats when you're looking at those two games. But you look at the last couple weeks. UCLA not great stats, but Stanford, you, you you put those two games together, suddenly CU's playing good football. You look at the CU game or the CSU game and Nebraska game, and those are great stats. So, CU's had a very up and down year, very volatile with their stats and the data and their results. So, I don't think you can look at these teams the same on the box score. I don't think you look at Colorado's 470 a game and go, this is a team allowing 470 a game. Now, are they? Do the the stats say that? Of course they do. They're numbers. But intrinsically, is CU that bad defensively? I don't think they're they're anywhere close to a 470-yard-per-game team. They've gotten better. They're showing that they're not quitting. And I think those stats actually could be kind of lying a little bit in terms of CU. I think they're overperforming. Excuse me. I think they're underperforming this year in terms of what their stats are. They're a much better team than we're seeing show up on ESPN, on Fox, on the box score, those kind of things.
1: And, and I think what this game comes down to is the direction that these teams are both trending, and I think the motivation that both teams have. Washington, 6-4 team. They, I, I, as far as I know, they may have some slim chance, some weird hope of getting into the Pac-12 championship game. No, no. As far none, as I none, know, not right now. Okay, so they're they're out. They out. have nothing to play for in the Pac-12. None. They're not going to any great significant bowl. There is nothing left for Washington to play for. And, and you think that that means nothing to a 19, 20 year twenty-year-old kid? You're wrong. I think that absolutely motivates. You look at a guy like Jacob Eason, who more than likely is going to the NFL draft next year. What, what where's his focus at? Is he really focusing on the, the Colorado Buffaloes in the 100-and-whatever-ranked defense in the country right now? No, I think he assumes that he's going to walk through that. Whereas you look at the Buffs, you see some of these guys, the direction they've been playing. Going back to our conversations for the last – months about getting better as the season goes on. I think we've seen each the last few weeks where you maybe have a little bit ups and downs, but that that the, the, the highs and the lows are not as extreme. And I think you're starting to see a team that's leveling out, that's getting better and better. So what's it going to take for CU to win this game? They're going to have to build off of every performance they've had this year. They're going to have to come out with their best performance of the season to have a chance to win this game. I think they need to, like I said, play mistake-free football. I think they need to finish drive, something that has shot them in the foot in every close game they've been in this year. And again, I think that defense needs to build off of what they've done last the last couple of weeks, and I absolutely think CU has a shot to win this game.
0: But you mentioned motivation. CU has the absolute upper hand here for motivation. Now, there are a couple of things. One, they're playing at home. We know they're playing much better on Boulder than on the road. But they're 4-6 and right now. If they win out, which is not likely, but if they win out, they're going to win a bowl game. Colorado knows they can't lose again, and they could still be playing postseason football. That's a huge builder, especially for this team. You don't think Mel Tucker wants to end the season winning two games in a row, go to a bowl game? Heck, yes, they do, folks. So I think the motivation edge is certainly on Colorado's side this weekend. A lot more to play for. Uh, as you'd said, Jared, maybe some distractions
1: going on with Washington. And I think Colorado is the hungrier team this weekend. And senior day, you got Ralphie out there the last time. I mean, there's just so much right now. For these, this Colorado Buffaloes team, that I, I think, I think your point with Mel Tucker and, and driving the the winning culture. I think this is something. This time last year, Tyler, I remember sitting on this very podcast talking about how we saw these guys quit on McIntyre towards the end of it, and and, and you saw it, and then and then they finally got rid of him and, and made that move. I think this would be huge, even if you only get one win down the stretch here to go get a win against a perennial top team. I think that will have a huge impact inside that locker room and in, in the, their confidence in their head coach. And you don't want to go from a five-win
0: season last year to a four-win season That's this year point. and kind of have that drop off. There's a lot of things and a lot of reasons for, CU's, for uh, CU to fight this weekend. Now, Jared, we're on a one-game win streak. We picked him to win last weekend. I'm going to go Colorado gets the win again this week, or I should say two weekends ago because the bye week. I'm going to pick CU to win. I'm going to go 28 24. Colorado gets a close win at home on Senior Day,
1: sends these seniors out right. Let me get a score from you. What do you think? Uh, I, I got a little bit lower because I think it's the defense's shoulders that the Buffs ride to victory here. I have the Buffs winning twenty to seventeen, and I like Steven Montez coming up big in the fourth quarter for the Buffs. Boy, last home game, Jared. It's been a fun year this season. It's just flown by, hasn't it? God, I know, and it's just one of those things. You get to this point in the year, early in the season, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll go to that game. We'll do that for that, <laughs> and you get to this point and go, man. This is it. This Last is it, game. man. So, Last uh, Give us game. Give us one more game to go to, Buffs. Come on. Let's go get a win this week. Let's put one up against Utah the following week. And give us a bowl game to go to, huh? Exactly.
0: That does it for this week's show. Let's go, Buffs. Get a big win this weekend. Remember to review us, rate us on anywhere where you listen to these podcasts. Let's go, Buffs. We'll talk to you next week on the Buffs Nation podcast.